The greatest love story I could tell you is a testimony, and it's mine. And it begins with a girl named Kim. Kimberly. Kimberly was the reason I wound up going to youth group my freshman year of high school. All through middle school, I had this major crush on Kim. And when my mom approached me and said, hey, you're a freshman in high school and they've got this great youth group at the church, you should go. I was like, no. You should go, Mom. It's so awesome. But mothers, you know, are, are sometimes innermost desires said, well, I know that Kim is going to go. I know that her mom said that she's going to be there. And I was like, did I say I didn't want to go? Because I meant, let's go now. It was one more opportunity as somebody who came from a large high school to have a greater chance to interact with this girl that I just adored and had a crush on. Now, Kim and I became good friends, and at some point, very close friends, and at some points, one may even say, like, best friends. But here was the problem that I ran into consistently for the next four years. Kimberly really did a good job at staying in a relationship. <laughs> and then kind of moving out of a relationship, and you gotta be cool about that. You can't just swoop in and be like, hey, I saw that you got, you got dumped. I like you. Now a good time? Is this okay? Are we good? And so I always tried to be an appropriate gentleman and leave a little bit of room for healing and processing and just to be single and be me. I just gotta find out who I am. Cool. And then I'd get ready, I'd get up the guts. Sophomore year, hey Kim, I gotta talk to you about something. I have something to tell you too. Cool, you go first. I have a new boyfriend. <laughs> what did you want to talk about? Nothing, I knew you were going to say. Congratulations. <laughs> Sophomore year, junior year. Hey, hey, I, I want to talk to you about something. I have something to talk to you about too. Sure, why don't you just go ahead. I'm dating Robbie now. Robbie, he's a good guy. Robbie! <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Finally, it's my senior year of high school. And I don't know how like you guys do prom events, if that's open to everybody or if there's like restrictions on it. For us at our high school, it was juniors and seniors went to prom. Um, I didn't go to my junior prom because single. Uh, and I really wanted to go to my senior prom and have that experience, and as fate would have it, Kimberly and Robbie broke up. And I was like, you know what? I'm done with the healing period. You need one week to get over this. So after a basketball game one night, we went over to one of my buddy's houses, and I was like, hey, Kim, do you want to go, like go for a little walk around the block? She's like, it's kind of cold out. And I was like, yeah, you'll be fine. You will really be okay. <laughs> Do you need a jacket? Here's five jackets. Look, I pulled them all out of his parents' closet. You just take, you throw these on. Here's a parka. You'll be warm. So I go out for this walk. And what you need to understand about me, and you already know this, I'm a fairly awkward person. But in my mind, I, I sometimes forget that. And I say and I do things that I think are like a Nicholas Sparks novel and they're more like Sesame Street, if you get what I'm saying. 
And so I've got like this whole dialogue like planned in my mind of like how I'm just gonna like, you know, unfairly unload four years of raw emotion onto this poor girl. <laughs> and so we're walking and talking about, you know, the basketball game and different things. And uh, this is the exact dialogue, how it came out of my mouth. I don't know how it sounded in my head, but I know this is what was spoken. Hey, Kim, I've been, uh, I've been messing up, Kim. I've been messing up. How have you been messing up? What's been going on? She didn't really talk like that, but I need to differentiate her voice from mine. That's like all that I'm doing here. I just need you to get the dialogue straight. She didn't have, like she wasn't weird like that, you know? But like it's that voice or what was going on? You know, and then you think like she was a Russian like ladies bodybuilder, I don't know. I don't want you, I just, I have to differentiate the voices. Anyway, back to the, the conversation. What's been going on? Well, I've been, I've been falling for somebody, Kim, that I, I just don't know that I can have. <laughs> Who? <laughs> That's totally for real. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> I can't. I'm so embarrassed to even share this, but I, I'm going to because I love all of you and I've appreciated your time together. I go, That's, <laughs> it's you, baby. <laughs> And I'm like, baby? You went with baby? What? Now the right-minded person is like, I'm going home. But inexplicably, she goes, I kind of like you too. And she went and grabbed my little hands. We interlocked fingers and Again, I'm trying to be cool, so I'm like, cool. <laughs> but in my head, I'm like, things are dead! Happy days are here again! So then I'm like, hey, would you, would you want to go to prom with me? And she's like, I would. I would love to go to prom with you. And so, again, I don't know like, how you do things at your, your high school. At our high school, you went and purchased prom tickets from the school cashier, a nice lady named Wendy. And you would go and you would buy either a singles prom ticket for $75 at the time, or you could buy a couples prom ticket for $120. If you do that math, it rewards relationships, okay? You had a $30 discount for being in love. Cool, awesome. You also got a couple like commemorative uh, little keychains, is like, you know, a night in Paris to remember. That was the theme. Um, and a couple of champagne glasses because, you know, my high school really discouraged underage drinking. <laughs> I was like, what are these? They're like, they're for sparkling grape juice. <laughs> okay, cool. And I was so happy. I was so excited. I had my couple's ticket. I had my little, uh, my little keychains. I had my uh, Welch's grape juice glasses. <laughs> and for the next, like, week and a half, like, life was just good. I was just stoked. I'm like, oh, it's the best. Go to prom with Kim, like we'd see each other, we'd make little eyes at one another in the hallway. <laughs> Thank you. And then one day after school, Kim's like, Hey, I need to talk to you. I'm like, Sure. Robbie, Robbie and I are gonna get back together. And we should, and we should probably, we're gonna go to prom together. Let me tell you something. There's no worse feeling than going up to Wendy, the school cashier, and being like, hey, 
I need to trade in this ticket for a single ticket. <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. And then she was like, oh, honey, you can keep the keychains. <laughs> like, she wasn't going to make me go through, you know, the pain of being like, and here's all the extra stuff I got for having a relationship. Now, you know that I'm kind of an awkward person, but I'm a fairly competitive person. I don't give up very easily. And you also know that I love music and I played in a band for a period of time. So I devised this little, this little snappy doodad. I was on the prom committee and we made a suggestion that what if our band played the prom theme song? Could we put that up for a vote? Why, of course we could. And did I not have enough friends to choose my band song as the prom theme song? Absolutely. And doesn't it make sense if we're gonna set up all of that band equipment to also let the band play a couple other songs, including one song that maybe I would write special for someone who was also at prom? You better believe it. So we played our prom theme song, and then I grabbed a guitar. And I sat down on the stage, and Kim, I'll never forget, right there. And I may have put the lyrics in her locker a couple days prior to that. That's what we did. And come to my window tonight. Grace me with your shadow by mine. Love unfolded and unraveled and spread out before you. If you ever fell, I'd throw myself, I could catch you. I don't know where Robbie was when this was happening. And petty words, yes, yeah, simple notes are all I have to offer you. I wish that they could be more And how lost would I be without you? Would you be lost without me too? Tell me this for sure Walk with me tonight Or would you prefer to fly? And say now, heaven holds you back Don't crash tonight Yeah, please, angel, smile And show me how to fly And walk slowly, speak, please Don't tell me what's on your mind Because your words are the melody To a song that I can never write And love, heaven holds you back Don't crash tonight Please, angel, smile and show me how to fly. And walk slowly, speak, please. Yeah, tell me what's on your mind. Because your words are the melody to a song that I can never write for you. Heaven holds its breath. And for you, I would breathe in. For you, 
heaven holds its breath for you I would be there and I looked out and I said I win Monday morning, Kim was like, Robbie and I broke up. <laughs> and for the next couple of years, in through college, we dated. We dated freshman year of college, sophomore year of college, junior year of college. And it was great. I thought about uh, all the times I'd sing her that song, and she'd say, how could you sing me my song? And I'd play it at shows, and she would stand right where she did that first time that I'd played it, and would look at me the exact same way. We started to talk about things like a future. Like, I imagined our kids running around at her parents' house, loved her family, got along with her two older brothers, her sister, spent Christmas holidays with them, loved her parents. It was great. She was the center of my world. And then something happened. I went on something like this. And I realized that the person that I was with and the boundaries we had set in our relationship weren't honoring her or me. And so I started to talk with her about that because when I saw her, I saw somebody beautiful who had a lot of dignity, who had a lot of worth. And when I looked at myself, I saw somebody with a lot of dignity and a lot of worth. And, and so we kind of challenged each other in that and tried to live the way that our relationship should be lived. And that was a scary thing because we had never had those conversations before. And it started to make things tense when you look at someone and you say, I know that we've lived one way with one set of boundaries, but I think you're worth more than that and I'm worth more than that. And we, we tried and we did the best we could, but things just felt tense. And on one particular night, I remember going to bed and praying probably the most honest prayer that I had prayed in my life up to that point. I was getting ready to graduate from school and had a lot of decisions to make about my future and where I was going to go and who I was going to be and, and who was going to be a part of my life. And as I fell asleep, I simply said to God, if there's anything that would stand in the way of me doing your will, if this relationship with Kimberly is meant to work out or not meant to work out, I just got to know. I have to know. Five days later on Christmas Eve, we broke up. And walking out of her house that night, I remember opening up the door and, and locking it behind me and thinking, I prayed for this. I asked for this. Sometimes our prayers and the responses we get are really wonderful. And sometimes they break our heart. And then I had that encounter with the mirror walking by it and looking at myself that next morning after I had broken up with Kim. Now let's call a spade a spade. She broke up with me. And saying, who are you? Who am I? See, here's the tricky part, is that I had built a life and an identity on this person. I had built a whole 
future on this person. When I looked at myself, I saw this other person. I saw four years of having this, this crush in high school and all of the time and the energy and the music and the song and the prom and the dating and the laughs and the arguments and, and this whole life that I had kind of built with this person and, and the identity I had allowed it to form within me. And now I just wondered, who is this guy that I'm looking at? I'm passionate about what we presented as far as origin and identity because that's where I began to dive into things and ask, what is next? What is now? You see, we go through this weekend, we talk about our worth and our dignity in God, and, and then we start to ask some other questions like, what does it mean to live that out? What does it mean to really affirm my dignity and worth? What does it mean to live chastely? What does it mean to live a life that honors my sexuality? And the practical things about, well, you can avoid lust and you can avoid the situations that might put you in the near occasion of sin in a relationship and saying, man, it's probably not good if we're alone in, in your parents' basement when they're gone. That provides an opportunity for maybe us to make poor decisions. If it's struggling with pornography, it's saying maybe I need to get somebody to put an accountability software like Covenant Eyes, which is a great program on my phone. So I have people to call me out and I have things that actually block the material that might be destroying me or hurting me and, and destroying my dignity and, and my sexuality. If we've made mistakes, it's continued to seek healing in the sacrament of reconciliation and finding life and hope in the mercy that Jesus provides for us. It's going home and having that difficult conversation in a relationship where it's like we have to have boundaries, not because I'm trying to be a jerk or be a stickler, but because I want what's best for you and, and you, I hope, want what's best for me and, and I want to respect your dignity and honor you even if it means that it might end. Our relationship ended because absent of those things, we realized that maybe it should have ended a couple years earlier. That we didn't have as much in common as we thought. That we were really great friends and we cared about each other deeply, but, but we weren't supposed to be. And other things had kind of clouded that. But here's the trick. When you start to say there are things in our life that we have to cut out and organize, a hole gets left. St. Paul, in one of his letters, talks to a group of people and says, if you're a thief, if you steal, do something with your hands. Build something. Because we can't just take something away out of our life and then leave this hole there. And, and we know that we were created for communion and relationship and intimacy. And so we have this hole anyway that, that desires to be filled, that desires something more. And that oftentimes we fill it in the relationship that has the inappropriate sexual boundaries. Maybe with pornography. Maybe it's not with anything relating to a sexual sin. Maybe it's alcohol or drugs. Maybe it's like the desire to succeed. And we feed ourselves so full of the desire to succeed that we, we stay up all night, get two hours of sleep just trying to get straight A's in all of our classes. But there's this hole that needs to be filled anyway. And and if we can stand up here and give you kind of practical suggestions and say, you know, when you fall to sin, especially sexual sin, go to the sacrament of reconciliation. Call it out for what it is. If you're in a relationship that doesn't have appropriate boundaries, if, if you're having sex in a relationship, which should only be reserved for the sacrament of marriage because it's only there that it can be truly unifying and truly creative, you need to kind of stop. We also should leave you asking a question, so what do I then fill that with? And that's where I was left. I had all of the right things, and I was like, okay, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to kind of ditch the computer in my dorm room, I, I have to like look at people and, and try to see them with Jesus' eyes, rather than seeing them like with human eyes or desire, just to kind of say, that's a child of God, that's a daughter of God, that's a son of God, 
But still it was hard because I had a hole. And then I met Amanda. And Amanda and I had only a brief stint of our life together. I met Amanda after playing a show. She was a waitress. We kind of connected. She was cute. We flirted. Didn't see her for two years. A couple months after Kim and I had broken up, I ran into her at a friend's birthday party. And I saw her across the room, and I was like, I know that person. I thought she was cute. <laughs> and so I walked up to introduce myself, and then I had a horrible conversation in my head that went like this. You met her a couple of years ago. You had a long conversation. You should remember her name. Oh my goodness, you don't remember her name. You're talking to her right now. Hi, Joel, how are you? Dang it! <laughs> and then you gotta just toss up a Hail Mary pass, hope that, it, uh, hope that it gets caught. Hey, Amanda. Hi. Perfect, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Coming through. <laughs> Amanda and I started to see each other, go out on dates, and it was great. She had a wonderful faith, a deep faith, not a Catholic faith, but a deep faith in Christ, and we were able to, to have a really good relationship moving forward. Then one day, she invited me to go to her church with her, the church she grew up at. It was a Baptist church. I don't know the title, like the exact title of the sermon that day, but if I were to guess, it probably was like along the lines of why Catholics are going to hell. <laughs> really interesting stuff. <laughs> Other kind of issue is that this was a very small Baptist church. Everybody knew everybody. And then so when I came walking in, they were all kind of like, that's a new person. And the pastor definitely knew because Amanda had told him that I was coming to church that Sunday. And, oh, wouldn't you know, it was a Catholic. Don't know if that influenced the decision or anything. <laughs> At the end of Mass, they had an altar call. If anybody had been a part of one of these religions, that they could renounce it in that moment. And the pastor invited everybody to kind of bow their heads and, I'm like, they, they all go here. <laughs> and he looked right at me. Because I didn't bow my head. I was like, I want to see what's going on with this. <laughs> what's up, dude? <laughs> Why are you looking over at me, man? <laughs> and it became clear that I was having an opportunity that some of us don't always get to, like, actually renounce my faith. Like, in that moment, I could have stepped and been like, yeah, I don't want to be Catholic anymore. I want to throw it off. I want to join your merry band of, of Baptist followers. I didn't. We just kind of looked at each other. I smiled at him a couple times. He did not smile back. <laughs> uh, and it became painfully obvious that her family really believed everything in the sermon, um, that I was not going to heaven. I was very much on my way opposite. And I really liked Amanda, and so we had to make kind of this call. If I was going to stay Catholic, we weren't going to date. And I was already hurt and broken from my relationship with Kim. And I thought, well, maybe this is kind of providential. Like, I met her. She went away. She came back. She's got a great Christian faith. And you know, maybe I could, I could do that. I could be like a Christian pastor, you know, run a cool mega church with a really awesome vacation Bible school. But I needed to decide if I really wanted to leave the church. And so I went back to, well, what is the one thing then that could keep me within the church? Like, I believe the church is teaching on, on theology of the body, and, but I thought, you know, you've got to get that in any Christian church, right? At least that's what I thought. And so I decided to dig, and I went to the one place, the one place where I was like, this has got to be, if this thing is true, how could I ever leave? And what I found was the answer to every question that I had asked. And it's simple because we're about to celebrate it here today. 
I went to the Eucharist, because I remember in second grade our priest saying, what we believe about the Eucharist is different than some of our Christian brothers and sisters. We believe it's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, that it's actually Jesus Christ present. And I said, if that's true, then I could never leave the church. I could never fall away from the Catholic Church, even if I disagreed with some of the teachings, even if I struggled with some of the teachings, if that's true, I gotta stay, because that's not anywhere else. And so I started to do some research. And briefly, here's what I found. As I said last night, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus institutes the Eucharist at the Last Supper. He says, this is my body, this is my blood. Take this, it's given up for you, the blood of the new covenant. But we also know that that happened on Passover, when a lamb, an unblemished, perfect lamb, was sacrificed so that the people would not die. And they would sprinkle the blood of the lamb on their doorpost so that the angel of death would know that that place was saved. And it was because of that lamb that people were brought out of the slavery of Egypt. And that's why it happens on Passover, because Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal, but he's got bread and wine, no lamb, because he is the lamb. And so when he says, this is my body, this is my blood, he's instituting a new way for people to be saved. Do this in remembrance of me. But maybe it still was symbolic. So then I went to another place in scripture. I went to John chapter 6. Jesus, in this bread of life discourse, says over and over again, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't have life within you. And that's all very nice. It's a little gross. But if you read it in Greek, it gets even grosser. In Greek, the word for flesh is actually sarx, which is a very literal, visceral term. It means flesh, as opposed to soma, which is Greek for body. It's almost always used literally, not figuratively. The word for eat, we see like eat, oh, that's nice. But Greek, the general word for eat is estheo, and it can be used figuratively as a joke. He uses the word trigo, which means to gnaw or tear flesh. Again, it's almost always used literally. And this is why at the end of John chapter 6, people leave. It says that maybe even thousands of people leave Jesus, everybody except for the 12 disciples, because they can't handle it. They're like, you're telling us to literally eat your flesh and drink your blood or we don't have life within you. That's crazy talk, Jesus. You're nuts. You're crazy. And Jesus is so set on this one point that he lets thousands of people leave. He doesn't explain it. He doesn't clarify it. He doesn't offer up anything that's well, it's an analogy. He just says, this is what it is, and I have to be serious about this point because it's your salvation that hinges upon this. It's too important. And then I came across this thing, and here's where it kind of sealed the deal for me. And we've got to go back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter... Uh, Chapter 2, we remember that God's creating everything. He's creating birds and plants. And there's that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? But we miss one other tree that's there. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We sometimes have this image that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is in the middle of the garden. It's not. It's there. But in the middle of the garden is this thing, the tree of life. And you know, this tree shows up in another place in scripture. It shows up at the very beginning, and it shows up at the very end. In Revelation chapter 22, a vision of a new heaven and a new earth. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding medicine for the nations. So at the beginning of scripture, there's a tree of life. And this is why Adam and Eve get banished from the garden, because they can no longer reach out to touch the tree of life. And at the end of scripture, there's another tree of life that provides healing and medicine to the nations. 
So God's bookended history with this tree of life. And in the very middle of history, what we would say is the hinge point of history, the moment of the crucifixion, Jesus hangs on a cross. But like anything dirty, we have like a, a euphemism for it. We have a word that makes it seem cleaner. We don't say how yeah, somebody was put to death in the electric chair. We say he got the chair. And this had a word for it too, a tree. In Acts chapter 10, Peter gives a speech and says, you put Jesus to death by hanging him on a tree. And so at the beginning of scripture, there's a tree of life. At the end of scripture, there's a tree of life. And in the middle of scripture, there's a tree of life. And what do you do with the fruit of the tree of life to live and have eternal life? You eat it. And the fruit that hangs on this tree is Jesus Christ's body, blood. And we will celebrate that here in the Eucharist on the altar. The only way to truly live out theology of the body is to fill yourself with something abundant. Because you were designed for intimacy and for relationship and for love. And as single people right now, you need to live out that self-gift in a certain way. Someday you may get married and you'll give yourself as a gift to your spouse through the act of sex. And sex is a good, but it's not the greatest good. The greatest good is self-gift. And in that act, that's how you will give yourself as a gift. You may become a priest and you'll give yourself over to the church. You will give your entire life to the church as a gift to the bride of Christ so that you can bring the sacraments to the world. If you become a religious brother or sister, you give your life as a gift in service for others. But right now, you need to give yourself as a gift, and it starts all of us give ourselves as a gift at this altar. Like a bride and groom approach an altar, like a bride approaches her groom at the altar to give herself to him, we approach Jesus Christ who gives himself totally to us in the Eucharist. Do you get this? If Jesus is present in the, in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity, he gives himself completely to you as a gift saying, I will fill you with abundance. I give myself totally to you. Will you give yourself totally to me? The only way to live out theology of the body, the only way to do these difficult things, the only way for a person who's experiencing same-sex attraction to remain chaste, and yes, I know several, the only way for two people, two teenagers in a relationship when the world says, you've got to have sex. That's what you do. Here's some contraception for you to stay chaste and to respect boundaries is to have the Eucharist at the center of your life. The only way for married people to remain faithful is to have the Eucharist at the center of your life. The only way for a priest to live out his vocation, for a sister to live out her vocation is to have the Eucharist at the center of our life because this is the greatest love story ever told. This is theology of the body contained in a host. And all week we've been at Eden and if you require further proof, it's this. The greatest Eucharistic miracle that prefigures the Eucharist is the feeding of the 5,000. We're familiar with the story. A couple loaves, a couple fish, lots of baskets, 5,000 people. It's the only miracle aside from the resurrection that appears in all four Gospels. The only one. And it has one consistent line. At the end of every single passage, it says, everyone ate and was satisfied. There was such abundance that every person ate and was satisfied. In Hebrew, Eden means abundance. To return to the Eucharist is to find abundance. To return to the Eucharist is to return to Eden. To be whole. To be received by God. To be holy. That's what this is all about. And in about 20 minutes, we're going to celebrate it. You're called to holiness and sanctity. And it walks right through this altar. I realized I could never leave the church because I was given fully and loved fully here. And once I got this relationship right, the rest of the relationships in my life fell in line. When I met my wife, I knew I loved her the moment I met her. And I was able to give myself completely to her without shame because I had already given myself completely to him.
you will find love and fulfillment. You will find abundance. You will find Eden here. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, prepare our hearts for what we're about to do in Mass. Thank you for the gifts you've given us this weekend. We know that there's still areas we maybe are wrestling with. Lord, how do we live this out? How do we make this happen? Maybe areas of darkness where we're like, I just, I'm not feeling anything. Help us to trust in you. That you're with us in our wrestling and our questioning. That you're with us in our, in our longing. And that through this miraculous bread, you're going to satisfy us. Prepare our hearts, Lord. Make us ready to receive. We ask this in Jesus, our Lord, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's my understanding that we have a couple of minutes for questions, if you have like questions at the end of the weekend. Um, I'll throw a couple things out there first. A couple people have said, like, hey, is there any way we can like stay in touch or, uh, after the retreat? Absolutely. Um, I have a Twitter and Instagram account. You can find me on uh, LT underscore J Stepanek or just search for Joel Stepanek, search for Life Team, all that stuff will come up. I love to connect with people after events and just see how you guys are doing, um, correspond that way. It's always a lot of fun. So if you're interested in staying in touch, that's how you can follow me. I know a couple people have asked on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Those are my preferred modes of communication. Um, if you have any questions, I know there's a lot of stuff we covered before Mass. You can throw them out there. We'll do our best to answer them. Um, I would encourage you to continue to ask questions of your youth ministers, priests, whoever, um, and let them walk with you. Theology of the Body is 129 audiences, and then there's like eight extra ones that were never published. Um, so it's a lot to dive into, and there's no way we could cover it all here. So continue to do research, continue to read, continue to ask questions. There's so much more. This is simply a tip of the iceberg kind of thing. Yeah, so if you have questions, Andrew uh, and Clarissa will be able to, to kind of field those and throw them my way, um, and then we can do that before we get, to get ready for Mass, if you have anything and everything. Beatboxing. That's all that I got. I have those two sounds. There's nothing else. I'm a really bad beatboxer. I lose competitions. Not that I've ever competed. Hey, Joel, do any other Christian denominations practice theology of the body, such as the Baptist church you attended? Yep. So here's one of the big distinguishments between the Catholic church and other uh, Christian denominations. When we say theology of the body, to clarify, what we're referring to is that series of audiences that St. John Paul II gave properly titled man and woman he created them if you were to look for this volume of work which you can it's about that thick um, and half of it is introductory material because it's like super dense and the audiences themselves are not more than 800 to a thousand words um, per audience so we commonly call that theology of the body um, and no not necessarily the catholic church has a very positive view of the human body so where we would say we were created good um, that particular baptist denomination would say you're not good you're corrupt, you're depraved, you're evil, and on your, you're garbage. 
And Jesus can't even look at you, God can't even look at you, unless it's through the blood of Christ. That's the only way he can, like, look at you, because you're repulsive to him. That's, so I, know I started out saying, we're good, we're created in the image and likes of God, we're created good, but, like, we're fallen to sin. Um, so that's a major, like, departure point. Now, different Christian denominations have varying degrees of that, but that's a very, like, Puritan in a lot of Protestant denominations beliefs. So the answer is no. Theology of the body, when we talk about that, really is a belief that's been developed by St. John Paul II, who I, I believe will probably be declared a doctor of the church someday. A doctor of the church is somebody whose writings are so crucial to the church that we declare that person to be like a central figure, essentially. Um, Another question is, uh, in terms of modesty, uh, what's the responsibility of a man to look at someone, um, to look at a woman, um, and then the responsibility of a woman to dress modestly? Yeah, and I think when we talk about modesty, um, to be modest is to be conscientious of how we view and are viewed by the opposite gender. So it's a two-way street. So when you say as a man or as a woman, what clothing am I going to wear today, like today, or how am I gonna act? Modesty is not simply clothing, it's also how we act. In a way that, am I going to do this in a way that promotes my holiness and promotes someone else's holiness? Modesty is fashionable. You can be fashionable and be modest. You don't have to like wear a parka or a burqa. It's just simply saying, am I conscious of the way that I'm dressing as a man uh, so as to respect my sanctity and the sanctity of the women and the men around me, and then vice versa. And then the two-way street is that to look at someone as a Christian, we maybe have a responsibility because we know this to say, all right, I'm going to make choices, again, that are fashionable, that look good, that take the current fashions that we have and the style trends that we have and incorporate them in ways that are appropriate. But then the two-way street is that as a man or as a woman, it's to be conscientious of how am I looking at him or her? Am I starting to look at him or her and, and, and as an object? Am I allowing, you know, what they're wearing to, to be an occasion of sin for me? Because on its own, we have the the ability to say no. And it's simply recognizing that and saying, all right, like that person is, we can't control what other people wear or dress around us. We can control our response to that. And so modesty is a two-way street. It's being conscientious about I view others and remembering to look at them with the dignity and worth they have. Um, and it, it's also having the, the conscientious to say, I'm gonna dress in a way that's appropriate. I was in Vegas a while ago and my family took me down to Fremont Street. Um, Fremont Street, they said, and I quote, has changed a lot. Um, but on Fremont, I mean like, we were in this situation and there's strip clubs on Fremont Street and there were street performers that were not wearing like nearly anything. And in that situation, you know, we're stuck and it's being conscientious of where am I looking, how am I approaching people um, and being appropriate in, in my thoughts and where I direct them because we don't always have control. So it's a two-way street. Good question, go ahead. Um, so in terms of contraception, like the birth control pill, is it okay to use it for health reasons like acne or menstrual cramps? And this is a really good question. I know that in any sort of um, medical intervention, there is an intended effect and there is an unintended effect. Um, what I would say is if you are, someone is saying, hey, you're on birth control and you're like, look, I'm really, I'm not engaging in sexual activity. Like I'm really just on birth control for the purpose of X, Y, and Z. I would encourage you to first ask yourselves a couple of questions with that and to really ask your provider and your doctor, like, is this the absolute most necessary piece of intervention for me? Um, now, there are very good doctors and there are also doctors who can be swayed easily by pharmaceutical companies. There's a reason why a lot of their pens have the name of their pharmaceutical company on it. 
there's bonuses for doing those kinds of things and working in an industry where sales is a part of it um, and it's comparable, you know, like I said, I work for, I, we do all of our printing through a particular company called Prisma in Phoenix and Prisma just happened to have extra tickets to the Cardinals Packers playoff game and they know I love the Packers and so why did they give me those excellent seats to the game which I could not use? Because they want my business and they want me to stick around and they want me to choose them for, as a printer. So doctors have a, an oath to uphold and there are a lot of really good doctors that do. It's just asking your doctor questions. Is this the best intervention for me medically? Is there another way that I can go about um, you know, regulating my fertility um, in a way that uh, deals with ovarian cysts, that deals with acne? Is there something else I can do? The bigger reason being there are studies that do show that prolonged exposure to hormones or hormone therapy through birth control can diminish fertility in women later in life. Um, and so while you may be saying I'm not using it for contraceptive purposes because I'm not engaging in sex, that doesn't mean that there's still not side effects to the medicine you may not be aware of. So what I would encourage you to do is one, contraception for the, the purpose and the intent of, of preventing conception or even uh, you know, causing a spontaneous abortion is not a part of, that the church teaches that that is, that is grave matter, that it's not something we should do. Um, the other side where it's like, well, but it's a medical thing, it's, I mean, it's, that's, an un, that's you know, a side effect essentially in this case, is to ask questions and to say, is there any other medical intervention? Because um, sometimes we could prescribe something and we're just like, oh, I trust you, but we have, we have a responsibility as patients to ask those kinds of questions and say, what will this do later on down the line? How will this impact me? Um, is there any other treatment option that I can engage in and to ask those questions and, and to know that you're, if that is in fact the best course of, of treatment for you, to know that it is and not that it's just the easiest or the most convenient or the one that looks the best to their, their provider. Awesome. Last question. What's your favorite thing about being a father? My favorite thing about being a, a father, um, to be able to see a young person, I create a lot of resources he's the best thing I've ever been able to kind of create. I mean, I have like less than a third part in that. But to see him become aware and to grow and to, to recognize me and say things like, Dada, uh-oh, and, uh, and grow and like to give you kisses uh, back and, and just to be a part of somebody's life in that way. Um, he's taught me more about God and not in the way that like I've learned who God is because I'm a great father. I'm a good, good father. It's who I am. <laughs> um, but because like he's reckless and he's wild and he's untamed and he loves so passionately and he gives so selflessly, when I look at him, I'm like, that's God. Somebody who would relentlessly chase after me and find me and love only me with undivided attention. Uh, that's the best thing. Awesome. Let's give it up for Joel for being here this weekend. We're praying for your family son, your wife. He gave up this weekend to be with us and to share the good news and the message of um, theology of the body. Um, and we have some, some testimonies because, like I said, you know, we, you all have your own story. You had your own journey throughout this weekend. And so we have um, a brother and a sister who's going to share with us um, their experience of this weekend and how they were moved and how they were touched um, by everything. So let's bring up Jalen first. Give it up for Jalen. <laughs> okay, I'm really nervous, I'm sorry. Okay, um, so I 
I don't know how to start this off, but I grew up with, um, you know, mom and dad, they love each other. It's a good relationship and, you know, I'm really happy. But my dad grew up without a father. So he didn't know what, would, what it was like to have like that fatherly love. So, you know, having a daughter, he didn't know how to show his love for me. So I wasn't, I didn't grow up being told that I was beautiful or getting hugs from my dad, like voluntarily, um, you know. So I had this really weird thing growing up when I was in middle school that I just, I would fish for compliments and not from like, not from girls like being like, I don't know if my hair's pretty today. It's just like, yeah, your hair's pretty. It's like, no, like I would like talk to people anonymously online. I didn't know who they were, but it's like you would get compliments from them and it's like, it made me feel good. So it's like, I was like fishing for those compliments like consistently, but then that led like to other things that, you know, I wasn't supposed to be exposed to. And I wasn't, I was so embarrassed of myself like for all these years. So during adoration last night, I was like so scared and like, you know, once I saw it coming in, I like just started like bawling my eyes out because I was like so embarrassed. I was like, like that's like Christ. Like I could like see him like walking like on two feet and like I just like started bawling my eyes out because I was so scared. And I was just so embarrassed, like, I did this. So, <sighs> I'm sorry, I'm nervous. Um, so, so I was, you know, really tensed up, and I said, it's like time to let go of that past. So I went to confession, and I was just like kneeling, and you know, there's a point where like, my, what's it called? My knees gave up, and like I kind of fell down. And I was like just crying, but it's like it was a good cry at that point because I knew that I was forgiven, and I was really happy. And what I learned was that you're always gonna have that fatherly love, which is like from our good father. So that was my experience, and yeah. My name is Christian. I from I'm from St. Bernard's Parish. Um, I, go, I live in Tracy, California. So I heard about this retreat a couple months back, maybe November, December, and it ultimately was my choice. Where does it go? With like a strong encouragement from my youth group leader, Letty. And I just I try to dodge it whenever it's like, oh, who's going? I never raise my hand or anything. So I just really try to avoid it because I just, I had this image like, you know when mean girls, they're all like, don't have sex, you will get chlamydia. Like that, <laughs> I thought that's what it was gonna be like. And I just really didn't want, want that. So I just like, kind of stayed up. And then so my youth group leader, really, she sat down with me at Starbucks and we had interesting talks on everything that I had questions on. And 
After that, I was just really excited to go because I really wanted to learn and bring all my questions and bring all my struggles to the cross. And I really found here, my favorite part of this retreat was just being in nature and having small groups and meeting a mentor that like really could relate to me and that encouraged me to confess my sins and really try to better my relationship, even if it's a small sin or a big sin, it doesn't really matter. It's just, just that, just forgiving and bringing it up to the cross and putting your life in his hands. And that's what really moved me. And then this retreat really brought us together as a Catholic community because we're all from different places. There's some people are here from an island in San Francisco. Some people are from Northern and Southern California. And we're all here by, not by chance, but by choice from God. And it's just, it's really heartwarming. We're all singing and all of us are really, really actually singing, all of us. And it's just a joyful noise that really can't be replaced by anything else. And it's just beautiful. And I'm so glad I said yes and came here with an open heart and willing to learn and give it up to God. Let's give it up one more time for Christian and Jalen. So we encourage you all to share your story. Share your story. We, some of you have your parents here. Some of you will be riding down together, maybe taking a nap. But when you're awake, share your story with one another, what you learned, what questions you might have, what seeds were planted during this weekend. Maybe you can pray together. Start to pray together and form that community.